Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Anything that's creating hesitation or resistance uh, or hesitancy, uh, whether those are, are rational or emotional, any of those things will keep you on the deliberative side of the, that decision and not committing to it. Shut the bloody wallpaper books. That's We've right. already We're made done. a choice. We're done talking about wallpaper. Like, why are we still talking about You can ask a customer and you say, how are you going to make this decision? And, well, it's going to be totally based on price. And obviously, it's not going to be necessarily just based on price. There may be two or three things that, that uh, contribute towards making that choice as well. That's an excellent point. So I don't want people to think that this deliberative mindset is purely rational. It could be that you are not crossing the Rubicon and making a decision because it just doesn't feel right to you. Ryan, I've I've got this problem I want to talk to you about. Let me just let me just check the door shut. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So Ryan, I'm I'm recording this at home. Okay, and I don't want Lorraine, my wife, to hear this conversation. Oh, th- this should be good. Let's hear it. <laughs> this is a bit like a bit of a private pickle, mate. Yeah. Um, so you know we do these pickles where people send in their business problems, and we sit here and we talk about those business problems. Well, I've got this marital problem that I want to talk to you about. Are you all right talking about it? I, absolutely. And I've got advice for you, Colin. I don't even know what your <laughs> problem is yet, but I got advice. <laughs> okay, so here's the problem. We are redecorating our house, okay? Okay. And we've been looking at wallpaper and we've been looking at carpet and all this other stuff. I'm being driven around the bend because no one can make a decision about what we what wallpaper to get. And we went in this store the other day to look at wallpaper. And we went into this area where they've got all these books and stuff like that. There's like 50 million bloody books. Yeah. Sure. And we start plowing our way through this. And I'm standing there going, I can't be bothered to look through all of these books. And we found one and I've gone, yeah, that's great. Let's get that. But I've got to tell you, Lorraine tends to, let me just say, try to put this in a positive way. Lorraine tends not to be that way. And she tends to. I'm not sure tends, how positive that was. Okay. You want to try that again? Okay, let's re-record that bit. No, I'm only joking. Lorraine tends to put off making a decision. Is that a diplomatic way? Be, be thorough. Hold on, let me just check that door again. Yeah, okay, we're fine so far. If you suddenly hear a crash and a lot of screaming, you'll know that um, Lorraine's come in. You you make decisions very quickly, and, and she makes decisions more slowly and deliberatively, if I'm hearing correctly. Yes, that yeah. is a, that's a much... You're helping so far I, already. Well, I suggest it may be context-dependent. If she hears this podcast, she may make a decision about a divorce attorney very quickly. <laughs> um. <laughs> if I go back in the day, yeah. we actually did this Myers-Briggs test that you can do personality test personality test yeah and there's two aspects of that that i think sort of tie into this whole conversation that we're going to have which is actually about a model called the rubicon model 
and we'll uh, explain that in a moment. But go back to this Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENTJ. I won't bore you with all these letters. The important one in this aspect is J, which is judgmental. And Lorraine is an INFP. And the important in this one context is the P, which is perceiving, I think. So a judgmental person tends to want to make a decision quickly. The advantage of that is you're making a decision quickly. The disadvantage of that is that you don't gather all the information in before you make a decision, and therefore the decision could be wrong. Yeah, you could have rushed into the wrong wallpaper that you then have to stare at for the next 10 years. Correct. Yeah. A P is the opposite end of that scale, and it's degrees, obviously. But a P in the extreme would not make any decision because they want to get all the wallpaper choices out and you know because there could be some wonderful wallpaper out there that um lorraine hasn't seen yet or price or whatever it may be and therefore would put off making that decision until they've gathered all the information but the question of when when is all all is obviously up for debate i think in general to be serious for a moment what we're talking about here is, which is a really important subject, is how people make choices and how people make decisions, isn't there? And do you want to tell people about this Rubicon model? Sure. Yeah. It, it's specifically around the question of kind of what happens when we make a decision and, and how that changes the way that we think about things. And so the fact that you want to quickly make a decision and then move on. And your wife may, in certain instances, want to deliberate more and not make that decision yet. You're observing a tension there where it's like you're on, on different sides of a barrier, on different sides of a river. And that's actually where the Rubicon model name comes from. Now, you and I have kind of a running joke about how bad psychologists are at naming theories. Correct. Um, very non-intuitive. I actually think this is a pretty good name for a theory. Like it requires some explanation, it requires some understanding of Roman history. But once you understand it, it's actually it's a pretty clever name. So the Rubicon, as I'm sure you will recall, is a, a river north of Rome. Yeah. And it marked this boundary where uh, Roman generals were not allowed to cross the Rubicon with an army. If they did, it was considered treason and they could all be put to death. It was okay for them to come up from the south, though. I assume there was another border on the south. You're, you're now pointing to the fact where my Roman history knowledge is only so good. I was going to come out of this looking like an expert, Colin. Like people were going to be so impressed, and you blew it. There were no armies to the south. Let's go with that. Um, okay. Only armies to the north. This boundary was famous because it was famously crossed by Julius Caesar when he went to take over power from the Senate and. Uh, famously said as he was crossing the Rubicon, now the die has been cast. Like now I'm committed to this course of action. I've already committed treason and now need to go all the way. So that's the big idea here is that we have these, these different processes that we go through in pursuing a goal where we, we think about it, we're selecting something, we're about to make a choice. And then when we make that decision, we've now committed to it in some sense psychologically and we've crossed the rubicon and we now think about it in a very different way and we're thinking more about implementing that decision and defending that decision and it kind of shuts down our deliberation processes from a customer experience perspective or even sales perspective we're talking about effectively 
when does your customer cross the Rubicon or yeah. when does your customer make a decision about buying something from you? Or when does your customer make a decision to go, this experience that I'm having is so bad, I'm going to complain. At the end of the day, when some you get a survey through or something and somebody says, what was that experience like? Then they've made a decision on that, what it was like. It was good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be. But it, it's the, effectively that process of making a choice, yeah? Exactly, yeah. When do I commit to a point of action? And it, that could be like at the point of purchase, like as I'm signing the contract, that's a, a like that's obviously a legal commitment, but that may also be kind of the point where I have now committed to this course of action and decided on it. But it doesn't have to be. You could have made that decision days or weeks earlier and now we're just kind of formalizing it so we're talking about the the psychological process of making a decision and how that changes our perspective on things yeah and i think the other thing is that i find fascinating about this area is how do you know where your customer is yeah yeah how can you tell whether they've made the decision to buy something for you or to go ahead or to to complain or whatever else And certainly the way I've used that is just trying to listen to the words that people use Mm -hmm. and the questions they ask, because I certainly know that when you start turning around to people and saying, when could I expect delivery? And you start asking those more detailed questions, then you know that either they have crossed the Rubicon or they're halfway across the Rubicon. And maybe there's lots of different analogies that we can use about crossing the river. Whether they're in a rowboat or on a bridge across the Rubicon. Yeah, or even in a speedboat. Yeah, it's like probably actually, yeah. There was a yeah. perfectly good metaphor, Colin. <laughs> Julius Caesar. <laughs> We're trying to ruin this. Yeah. Julius Caesar, only from the north, though. Only from, yes. yes. <laughs> crossing the Rubicon from the south, you're leaving Rome. I'll draw you a map. <laughs> Hey everyone, we've really got a reason to celebrate because we're really on a roll here. Firstly, Beyond Philosophy is now 20 years old. Secondly, we've won the Financial Times Award again, and that's for the fourth year in a row. Thirdly, the podcast has doubled in downloads since last June. Yeah, we've doubled the amount of downloads that we've had since last June. So we're really on a roll. To celebrate, we're gonna give away some free resources. This includes some of my books, and all of this is a thank you to you, the listener, and to the readers of our newsletter, and to our clients. All of you have made this possible, and I would genuinely like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. All you need to do is to look in the show notes and click on the link that says, we appreciate you. Or you could look at my LinkedIn posts, as some of these offers are gonna change over the next few weeks. All we would ask you to do is to pay it forward and tell somebody about the podcast. So thanks very much for listening. It's really been a great year for us so far, and we really wanted to share that with you, our listeners. I think that this, this is a great point. So can you can you read your, your customer or even your coworker or your boss? Like, how do you know where people are in this decision journey? I think that the key words that you're pointing out are great ones. When this has been studied in psychology, 
we're interested in this Rubicon because there's this fundamental mindset switch that happens. And before you make a decision, you have what's known as a deliberative mindset. Right. And after you make a decision, you have what's called an implemental mindset. And a lot of the words that you were pointing to are associated with these different mindsets. And so if people are asking deliberative questions, asking kind of why questions, like why should I buy this? Or, or you know, how would this meet my needs? Those kinds of questions. Then you can, you can deduce that they're probably in this deliberative mindset where they are still thinking about it. They're still open to consideration. An implemental mindset, they're going to be much more interested in the practical kind of making this happen. So how will this get done? As you said, when will this get delivered? In what way will I be able to set this up? Those are now implementation questions. And so if you can note a difference in the types of questions that people are asking and the types of topics that they want to discuss, I think you're right. I think you can get a better sense of where they are relative to this decision. And I think the other thing is, this is not to say that you can't go back on your decision. Sure, no, of course. But you you lose something if you do. In, in yes. other words, you you have to justify it and articulate the justification of why you've chosen a, a different course as well. Yes. So remember, we're talking about psychological barriers here. So yeah. once you've signed a contract, there are legal ramifications to that, and we're in a different domain. We're talking about the psychology of decision-making and these psychological barriers are not insurmountable. So it's not the case that once you've chosen the wallpaper in the store, once you've selected the wallpaper in the store, that it's impossible for you to change your mind. Instead, think of it as these mental processes are now lining up around making that less likely. One way to think about it is psychologically, we like things to be settled. Yes. Your point about the Myers-Briggs emphasizes the fact that that different people feel that wanting things settled to a different degree, but it's still generally true of people. Like we want things settled and we want to feel like we've made the right decision when whatever decision that we've made. Yeah. And, and let, let me be clear. Yeah. I definitely do sometimes make too quick a judgment on things and that definitely can be a disadvantage. So and that's not And then the now you're stuck four years later still doing a podcast with me and it's too late, <laughs> Colin. You've, you've already made that choice rushed into it without thinking it through. Good point. Well made. I'm glad you say that. I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people procrastinate or deliberate too long, for sure. But even those of us who make decisions quickly or make decisions slowly, we are all on both sides of this Rubicon at some point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the other thing that you need to think about then is, so what are the and again, maybe it's this sort of analogy of the, I can just imagine being on one side of the uh, of the Rubicon or a river. I'm picturing you and your wife on different sides of this river, like yelling at each other, like having an argument over wallpaper. <laughs> so I think the interesting bit is uh, drawing on the analogy of the Rubicon again and, and getting in the river is what are the key questions that you should be asking your customer, yeah, or addressing with your customer that is going to make them decide whether to make a decision. And I guess actually thinking about it, I'm assuming the the, the decision is a positive decision. Obviously, the decision could be just not to do something. That is also a decision. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And therefore, this goes back to something that we uh, constantly talk about is the difference between what customers tell you and what they what they actually mean. So they, you know, you can ask a customer and you say, how are you going to make this decision? And well, it's going to be totally based on price. And obviously, it's not going to be necessarily just based on price. There may be two or three things that that uh, contribute towards making that choice as well. That's an excellent point. So I don't want people to think that this deliberative mindset is purely rational. It could be that you are not crossing the Rubicon and making a decision because it just doesn't feel right to you. Right? Yeah. And that, that could also keep you on one side of making a decision or another. So yes, it's a, it's a great point. It's not just a rational tally of the things that are important from an objective standpoint. It's all the things that go into making a decision. And so anything that's creating hesitation or resistance uh, or hesitancy, uh, whether those are, are rational or emotional, any of those things will keep you on the deliberative side of the that decision and not committing to it. Um, so yeah, we need to address all of those. And I guess the other part is that, again, we're focusing here on effectively big decisions, you know, mm-hmm. I, do I buy this or not, or do I make a complaint or not? Whereas in reality, we're making decisions all the time. Good. And therefore, each stage of step of the journey, there are decisions to be made. And, and again, the same Rubicon principle applies. Yep. Very good point. Yeah. So this is the the full name of the theory is the Rubicon model of action phases. It is a way of breaking down decision-making, not important decision-making, decision-making that includes the big decisions and the small decisions. Yeah. So this is a model that could apply to almost any of the decisions that we make throughout the day, big or small. So I guess the question therefore becomes, and and this actually thinking about it is where journey mapping actually has a big advantage, doesn't it? Because yeah, effectively... I think that this is one of the ways that we can improve our journey maps. Yes. So if you if you were to break down your journey map, you might be able to, to look at each stage and say, what side of a decision am I on? There's the big decision in, in most journey maps, which tends to be purchase. Yeah. But there are a bunch of smaller decisions all throughout the journey map. And so, for example, if you've got a a stage in your journey map that has to do with information gathering or some kind of research, that's very clearly a deliberative mindset stage. Sure. You may have others where the person is, is already committed to some course of action. That would be an implemental stage. And so as you go through your journey map, can you use this Rubicon model to try to figure out what type of mindset, deliberative or implementational, that the person is likely to be in at each stage? Because that'll give you some insight into how you can approach them. And I think building on that, you know, a key question starts to become, what decisions does the customer have to make here? Yes. And how are they going to make that decision? Yeah, I, I love that. So can you go through your journey map and identify a series of Rubicons that need to be crossed in order for that journey to be successfully completed? And again, building on that, there could be decisions that they would be making in step stage four, two, whatever, mm-hmm. that you should be addressing or starting to address way earlier for them to make a choice. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. So in other words, they're going to need to make a decision in step four, but actually you're going to start to introduce some of that in stage two because you know that by stage four, if you just hit them with, right, you've now got to make a decision about this, that could be somewhat of a challenge for them to make a choice on. Well, to the point you raised earlier, if the like the most important decision, say the purchase decision, depends in large part on an emotional reaction, so the person needs to feel like they trust the organization and are respected by the organization, that's probably, if you wait until that stage to try to you know induce those emotional responses, yes. it's probably already lost. Yes. So if those are, are the, the emotional part of that decision that needs to happen at stage five, and you have not started to do the things that would encourage people to trust you and feel appreciated by you at stage two, then you've probably already lost. Yeah. You see, this is fascinating stuff, really, because this therefore goes back to the argument of having a strategy in the first place. And what I mean by that is, I totally buy into what you just said, but you should be starting the conversation off with those customers in that mindset anyway. In other words, building on what you were saying, you don't turn around and go, right, we're now at stage four and customers are going to make a decision about this. And it's about whether we know that it's about whether they feel cared for or valued. We're now going to start implementing that at stage four. Exactly. Previous three stages, we haven't done that. But the, I guess the issue for me is that if you'd set the strategy off at the beginning of going, we need customers to feel valued and cared for, and we know that that's the case because we've done the research and blah, 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 yeah? You would have started that at stage one anyway. Yes. And that would have been the direction that you've set because you're doing it within the strategic framework. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there can be rational information that might hit differently at different stages. So, you know, it might be that if you focus them on the price at stage two, then that's going to not work out well. You need to focus them first on the benefits they'll receive at stage two. And then the price can come in at stage four. For emotional benefits, those tend to have kind of a longer buildup and need more evidence slowly over time. And so, yeah, it, it is usually, it's almost always the case where You would want to have those things built in earlier in the process, even if they don't ultimately affect the decision until many stages later. You could actually go back to what I was talking about earlier, i.e. thinking about, well, what decisions are being made here? You could even break those down into sort of rational decisions and more emotional decisions. Absolutely. So if you're thinking about it, At the beginning, going back to the big choice, a decision about price is something that clearly is going to be in there, but we know that that's not the be-all and end-all to life, the universe, and everything. You need to give customers information to be able to justify that, and that could be a more left-brain thing. So let's assume that you are not the cheapest price. How do you justify the fact that you're not the cheapest price? And that could be because the products or services that you're selling would last longer or not having many breakdowns or whatever, whatever, whatever. You're providing that information from a sort of an emotional perspective. In other words, you're not just turning around to the customer going, there's the price, get on with it. 
you're recognizing the fact that they are going to have to go and justify it in their organizations or justify it to themselves or in my case justify it to Lorraine which is even worse um, about why we should make this why we should make this decision Did, am I making sense absolutely and and again I think that this points to the the value of this model or this perspective when we're looking at customer decision making and especially when we're looking at a series of decisions in a customer journey. I think one one additional kind of insight that might be helpful is as we identify these Rubicons in the customer journey, these different decisions that need to be made, one of the things that's been found is that when people are in the deliberative mindset, so before they've made a decision, they're much more open to information, like we're in this kind of learning phase. Whereas when we're in the implementation mindset, we kind of shut down a lot of those processes. Now we just want to to get things happening, which is right. Think about you, Colin, after you've settled on a wallpaper and people are still like opening up new wallpaper books. Like now you're just, now we're just making you angry. Shut the bloody wallpaper books. That's We've right. already we're made done, a choice. We're done talking about wallpaper. Like why are we still talking about <laughs> yeah. um, I recently bought a car. It was the first new car I'd bought in many years. I, I tend to own cars and drive them into the ground. I did a lot of research for buying this new car. I had a lot of things that I wanted. The deliberation phase lasted a long time negotiated, went to the dealership, you know, spent a couple of hours signing paperwork and whatever all. And then I got my car and and the, the dealer walked me out to the car and um, wanted to give me like the walkthrough. So here are all the features and here's what these buttons do. And, and I tolerated that, but mentally I was over it. Like, sure. this is now my car and I want to drive it <laughs> <laughs> to the point where it was really stupid. There's a bunch of stuff that this new car does that I'm sure I don't know about yet. Sure. Um, because I, I so quickly switched over into that implementation phase, which was, let me drive my car. Yes, um, yes. And, and so that's one of the things that we can, that's one of the insights we can gain by applying this theory to journey mapping. If it is important for this transaction or this experience to work well, that the customer needs to get certain amounts of information, recognize that if we wait until they're in an implementation stage, to get that information, we may be too late. So yeah. if this dealership had walked me through all of the different features of the car before we had completed that that kind of process of, of signing everything off, I might have been more open to it. I might have been open to receiving that information at that stage, whereas later I was less interested. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great example. But what it's making me do is making me think about segmentation. Yes. Okay, because... There could be other people. And it just made me think about what they need. Okay, this wallpaper shop, I'm going to go and talk to them, right? <laughs> because they need a part of the wallpaper shop that says, this is for ENTJs who make yes. quick judgments. And there are only three books that you can choose from. Yeah. And this is for the INFPs. Uh, and there are 57 books. Yeah. And we've got coffee. And we've got really comfortable chairs because we know you're going to be here for a long time. <laughs> There's a similar idea, and maybe we can even do a full podcast on this at some point, um, that there are different types of people, some of whom are, are maximizers and some of whom are satisficers. And the idea is that they make decisions in different ways. And I think it's very similar to the distinction you drew, where some people want all the information and want to make a decision very slowly and in a very kind of deliberate way. Other people are satisficers where they just want a choice that's good enough and then they want to kind of get on with their lives. Sure. And, and so there's been some interesting research looking at the different ways that these people approach decision making. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to do that. Definitely have to do that. 
So what is it practically? What practical advice should we give to people? We've talked a lot about rivers and crossing rivers and everything else, but Roman so history. What? what does it all mean? We're hitting all the high points here. We are. So in terms of practical takeaway messaging, one is recognize the importance of decisions psychologically. So a decision is not just another step in a journey. A decision marks a significant change in the way people think. So as you're making your journey maps, as you're trying to anticipate your customer and what they want, identify those decisions, those decision points, um, and recognize that different approaches will help people depending on the side of the decision that they are on. And the things that will facilitate a decision are not necessarily the same things that will make a decision maker happy after they've made the decision. We need to have a different approach there. And for me, I think the practical thing is from the journey maps, recognize we're not just talking about big decisions and small decisions, you know, and it's not just about just the decision about buying. It's about lots of decisions. So I, I think this this thought around asking yourself, what decisions does the customer make here and how are they going to make them? You know, what information do they need? And then even breaking that down into rational decisions we need to make a decision they will need to make a decision about delivery times they will need to make a decision about the color whatever it may be but also emotional decisions do they trust you do they feel cared for and therefore in your implementation does it how does that fit strategically as as we discussed but i think for me the practical bit is it really makes the journey maps much stronger by putting that type of information in there Thanks for that, Ryan. It's been a really interesting choice. And anytime you want to pop around and see our wallpaper, you'll be more than welcome to do so. Oh, have we finally reached a decision then? Were you able to get Lorraine no, to commit to No, one? we haven't. I didn't say when you could come around. <laughs> but <laughs> but well, I'll, I'll pop by and see what Lorraine has up, and then I'll, I'll stop by your, your new bachelor pad and uh, <laughs> see what wallpaper you've set <laughs> Yeah, great. Okay. And we look forward to uh, talking to you all next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.